Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of The Shapes of Stories. Yeah, and I'm speaking to you right now as the sun has come out, finally after all that sort of horrible rain we had, and I'm having a nice country walk with my dog Robin. And uh, yeah, I thought, you know, well, why not uh, do a little intro for you guys as I'm sort of in a euphoric kind of mood <laughs> as I'm walking my dog at the minute in the nice sun. Um, but yeah, really excited to bring you this episode as I'm talking to, I mean, the, the argument's there, isn't it? But you know, the greatest snooker player of all time, um, as I talked to Ronnie O'Sullivan. And it was great talking to Ronnie, you know, um, very candid and honest about, you know, his um, his battles that he's had, you know, mental health, um, alcohol, and how he's combated them. Um, you know, really, it was really interesting for me to hear about his running because, uh, you know, when I when I had a spell myself with depression, it was it was really dark. Um, running for me actually was a, a really good way to kind of get over that, you know, and it was it was a really big part of my recovery, and um, it made me sort of look back and think, yeah, I am missing that, I am missing doing that because I think, you know, over the pandemic since uh, the gyms have been closed and stuff it's kind of easy to kind of fall back into laziness my end anyway and um yeah it was it was really um you know really interesting talking to Ronnie um you know, not just about snooker we talked about snooker his um relationship with Jimmy White and you know becoming the the best really what it's like to become the best snooker player but talking about those um dark moments he's had as well um, yeah, really interesting talking to Ronnie O'Sullivan and I look forward to sharing the episode with you. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media. It really means a lot. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Shapes of Stories. You can follow me on Instagram under Prestige Books. And then we have our Facebook pages as well, the Shapes of Stories on Facebook. And you can follow me on Facebook under Lawrence Prestige on my page where you can find out more about my books and uh, what's to come my end. And uh, yeah, you know, anyone there that can support the show in any way financially as you heard before this episode started you go in our information box or description box and um donate anything you can literally anything at all is a massive help and um it, you know it, it enables us to give you more episodes and um as more often as often as we can so please support the show in any way you can it really means a lot but anyway enough from me here's my chat with ronnie o'sullivan What football team do you support, by the way, Ronnie? Uh, I don't actually support team, to be honest with you. I don't, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm neutral, so I can just I just watch any old game, really. Um, yeah. Do you, yeah. You're going to watch the Euros? Like when it, you know, you, do you get into that? When um, it depends what else is on. If there's nothing else to watch and I'm with someone that's quite into the football and I'm at home, then yeah, and it's a, it looks a decent game, then I watch it. But I just don't understand it, to be honest with you. I don't understand <laughs> football, you know. Um I just don't they change it. the rules all the time now. 
I know, I know the yeah, I kind of like know the rules, but I just don't. I don't know if someone's doing good or not doing good. I watch Messi and I think, well, he's different. He pl- sort of plays a different game, but all the others, they just all pretty much look like the same to me. And then I'll go, oh, is he any good? And they go, oh, he's great. And I think, well, he did look great to me. So I just don't I know enough about it to, to appreciate it, really. Yeah. Is, is snooker the, the, the game, the sport you like to watch? Or what's the sort of, you know, as a spectator, what do you like to watch? I like to watch people that play sport in a creative sort of artistic way. So... Okay. Like, like football, I want to see someone with a ball dribble past five or six players like Maradona and then slip it in the back of the net. Yeah. And I go, oh, that's really good, that. I'll appreciate that. But if someone's yeah. running with a ball and sort of, I don't know, and I don't know, they're just running about, you know, and pass, you know, I, I'm not really into that. I want to see like moments of magic. So obviously, like Fed, Federer, the way he plays tennis, I find that interesting mm-hmm. to watch. Um, not a massive fan of watching someone like. Djokovic, Murray, you know, so I'm more like drawn towards the creative place, like Tiger Woods at golf. Mm. I really like watching him. Um, yeah, just people people like that, really. Otherwise, it's just, otherwise, I just think everybody else is the same. It's like I want to see someone play the sport in a way that, you know, I just, uh, it excites me, if you like, you know. Yeah, but who are your sporting sort of... At the end of the time, there's so many things on TV that I just think, unless I'm excited by it, I've got so many channels, I might as well find something that interests me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. and it doesn't have to be sport. Yeah, well, who were your sort of inspirations and stuff as a kid or teenager sort of getting into snooker? Oh, getting into snooker. Obviously, uh, Jimmy White was my first one. I used to love watching Mm -hmm. Jimmy White. And then the the more serious I got about snooker, the more I kind of started to probably try and follow Steve Davis's sort of way of playing, if you like, although we don't really play yeah. the same style of game. Technically, I kind of copied what he done. So, um, yeah, so so he would be my snooker hero. Uh, other other people that I used to love, obviously Maradona, Mike Tyson growing up, um, they were like the two that stood out for me and probably Ayrton Senna. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, are you keeping an eye on the boxing at the minute? Are you a boxing fan? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am a boxing fan. I am, and at the moment, yeah. who do I like? I like Errol Spence, Terence Crawford, Fury. Uh, just because he's different, you know. Like as a heavyweight, you don't really see many heavyweights like him. Um, I liked Mayweather. I like Mayweather, um, and that's about it, really. Then my kind of. There's some other good boxers out there, you know. I watch a lot of uh, the box box nation, so yeah, I'm quite I'm quite up on my boxing. Yeah, well, the Fury Joshua fight that like it was set in stone, and now it's in, you know, sort of, is it going to happen now again? Um, um, I'd like to see Joshua fight Wilder. Really, I think that's a more interesting fight, mm-hmm. and then let Fury yeah. fight the winner because I think that'd be um, yeah, that that that'd be more of an interesting fight because they haven't fought each other. Whereas Fury's kind of fought everybody, so he's. We can't yeah. like you don't question his ability if you like and, and his 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 sort of desire to fight anybody really in their backyard. Whereas maybe Joshua hasn't really fought anyone in their prime, and if he has fought people, they've kind of been like older versions of himself. So you know, it'd be interesting to see how he copes with Wilder. If he copes with him, then that'd be kind of um, you know a, a start, and then obviously you know then then take on the Fury. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because there hasn't always been that argument with Joshua, who is he kind of beaten, you know, and, you know, and he has lost a fight, uh, a match that he was the shoe into on the pundits. The pundits kind of said he was a shoe in to win, and um, he ended up losing that, losing that first match. You know, his first match. Um, I can't remember the name of the boxer yes. now, but his Mexican yes. guy wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. I know he, he won the return. I know he won the return. But if you're gonna if you're gonna get beat to someone in the return, you've got to kind of like bash him up to kind of go. Okay, mm-hmm. well the first one what could have been a bit of a flu, but in the second one, he just kind of like just run run around the ring for twelve rounds. So it wasn't like the revenge was like um, like a fantastic performance where you went, wow, you know that 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 loss doesn't mean anything, you know. He kind of didn't really box, you know, just kind of didn't really engage with Ruraz. So I kind of was a little bit disappointed in, you know, if I was a paying customer and I was watching that, I would have been disappointed with the with just the entertainment value. So, you know, I think if you're going to lose to someone, that the idea of a return is to, to make it so emphatic and in, and in such a, a stylish way that the first result becomes, okay, yeah, that 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 was a bit of a fluke, and and things like that can happen. But I, I didn't really see it like that. So yeah, no, I'm still not convinced. Um, and that's why that's my only thing with boxing is that they can kind of like avoid certain fighters. Um, you know, promoters can make up some stories and come up with these great stories why the fight can't yeah. happen. But actually, it's probably that the, the fighter doesn't want it and the promoter doesn't want that fight for their fighter because they probably think, well, we can maybe drag another five or six easy fights out before we take the hard fight. So that's the only thing I'd, I'm not in. That's the only thing that turns me off of boxing. So if I am going to follow a boxer, I like to follow someone that's willing to fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. And Fury kind of fits that bill. Mayweather was another one and, and all your great fighters if you like down the years of like Canelo you know they, they want to fight the best they're willing to go up divisions you know even if it means fighting someone that's much heavier than them it's like well you know if that's what I've got to do to to make it make a, a great fight then I'll do it so you know they're the kind of boxers that I, I, I like to watch you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and I think with Fury with the um, Wilder fight like there was, I mean, I, I think he was unlucky in the first fight for it to be a draw. You know, I thought Fury was really unlucky. Yeah. Uh, but then the second fight, it was without a doubt, you know, Fury was the winner. So, you know, he's, you know, he's proven himself, hasn't he? And to come back from what he's come, um, been through as well, it's just one of the most amazing sports stories I find. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just, a, just a, just a bit of a freak, isn't he, really, Fury? You've got to say it, you know, um, he's improved as a boxer over the years. Um, but like you say, that first fight was, um, you know, a lot of people were really worried that he was going to get really hurt. I wasn't because I just thought, you know what, you know, the guy, the guy obviously, I've never been like, I don't actually think Wild is a great boxer. He just looks for that one punch. and That's it, that one punch, yeah. Yeah, and I just think Fury's quick on his feet. So, you know, it kind of, you know, it was a great performance. But then the, the second performance, like I was just saying, it was so emphatic that, you know, that it, it kind of like made the first one. You think, well... The only reason why it was close was because he obviously lost all that weight, hadn't been in the ring for three or four years. So that was probably the reason why the first one was so close. The second one, it was just like a complete no contest in, in many ways, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, how, how, I guess, how have you been doing like, over this last over a year now with COVID? I guess you know, your high, end, high points, low points. I mean, how's it all been going? 
Yeah, mostly high, to be fair. You know, it's uh, it's worked out well for me because a lot of my sport is usually like a lot of needless travelling, if you like, or or logistically it's not really thought about it. It's not really been thought about well and planned well. So that's the reason why I don't tend to play in a lot of overseas events because they kind of tend to make you fly around the world five or six times in the space of four months in, in four weeks instead of just saying, right, you go to China, stay there, play three or four events, and you kind of get out of the way. So it doesn't look like that in snook. It's kind of like you're back and forth every other week. And uh, that sort of wasn't able to happen this year because of COVID. So done me a favour, really. I was able to play as much as everybody else because it was manageable, you know. Um, yeah, you know, so, yeah, it was... Uh, and then I got back into my running. I thought I had two choices. I either sit on the sofa and get really fat and obese or I can get really fit and turn it into a positive and I, I chose to get fit and get out in the fresh air and um, make, make make the most of the situation you know yeah and I suppose like not just fit um sort of you know body sort of being fit like your mind as well running does so much for you as well yeah no absolutely I've always ever since I started running uh what was it 2002 say so yeah I've been running like off and on for 19 years I had like a 10 year period where I didn't really run so much because I've got a lot of injuries but yeah I always call it the benefits of running so like your mental health totally uh you know sorts that out you know you know a run always can take you from a an average place to a fantastic place you know so it's a real mood shifter if you like um and for me I've, I've, I've kind of like you know I used to smoke I used to smoke dope I used to drink you know I can eat I can I can eat for England um, you know, my natural thing is to, is to put on weight. I'm quite a big bone person. So, you know, uh, if I don't run, all them other sort of bad habits sort of take over, if you like. So um, for me, running kind of, it it means I don't have to try to avoid the smoking, the this, the that. And, you know, I, I just, once I, once I do that run, it's like I don't, I can't even be tempted by all them sort of things that I've just mentioned. So, I can't find if I get my run out of the way and get it done, life's a life's a lot more straightforward. Yeah, and that and that high you get after you've had a run, that's you know completely different. Uh, the alcohol high, the smoking dope high, you know, it's uh, it's a euphoric feeling, right? Yes, and it's it's a healthy. Like, listen, I I accepted twenty years ago. I've got an addictive nature. Um, it's up to me where I where and how I channel that addiction, you know. So, you know, whatever I choose to do, I know that I'm probably going to do it to an extreme level, you know, or, or pursue it to, to, to the extreme. And I don't try and I manage that extreme. It's because sometimes, you know, you can just be like so into something that, you know, you you know it can be can become quite healthy. So you kind of have to manage, you know, so a lot of time I have to write a running diary, I have to write a snooker diary because I don't actually want to over-practice. I don't want to overrun. I don't want to over... So sometimes when you get it on paper, it's easier to kind of like... You're, you're made a bit more accountable of what you've done, you know? So I know three hours practice of snooker is probably better for me than seven hours of practice, you know what I'm saying? So mm. I kind of yeah. like to kind of like I don't want to overdo things because I'm because that's what I would tend to probably do so I like to to keep a log and a diary of certain things just so as I don't get carried away if you like yeah absolutely yeah and I suppose like if you experienced I guess playing snooker when you're traveling all all around the world playing doing different competitions and tournaments like have you experienced that burnout feel yeah a couple of times a couple of times I've I've kind of overdone it 
months was just basically because I was winning too much. <laughs> winning became like a like a bad thing, you know. And, and, and in the end, in hindsight, I should have probably just lost first, second round, got home, had a week at home, and then kind of gone and 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 won the next one, and then kind of. You know, because playing every day, you get bored. You get bored of start eating steak every day. You like in the end, it might be nice for the first two or three days, but after about five or six weeks, you're like, I'm just sick of it. You know, just just give me like a, a bowl of cornflakes, please. You know, so so I kind of like you have to be careful with that burnout one. So you know, it's like like I was saying to my friend the other day. I said I said I just love to work. I said I think I'm, I'm obviously got a bit of a workaholic side to me as well. So unless mm-hmm. Unless, you know, for me, it's sort of like, you know, I have to have a few different jobs on the go because I just get bored doing the same ones all the time. So, you know, I'll do a bit of snooker. I'll do a bit of Eurosport. i do a bit of work with my academy in Singapore. I, I, you know, I, I, I buy and sell. I've got a brilliant friend who's in the art world and I kind of like, I've just got involved in that. So buying and selling a bit of art and... and and kind of getting a, cl- a collection of, of art together as well. So, you know, I have a property company, and I just find that, you know, just just being involved in them different things just keeps it interesting. You know, it's, it's if I was just a snooker player, I think I would, I just wouldn't. I don't think I'd be a happy human being. Do you know what I mean? It's just putting all your eggs mm-hmm. in one basket, and it becomes your identity ends up getting wrapped up just as Ronnie the snooker player instead of like being Ronnie like hold on I've got I've got lots of different interests you know yeah yeah and I suppose I've been I remember seeing that quote that you were saying you know if you had it your way perhaps you would have gone down a different route if you could go back I mean is that because you are kind of labeled so much with the snooker stuff it becomes everyone just wants to sort of put throw the snooker world on you um I listen I love snooker I'll get a great kick out of it I enjoy it you know but I I get the same enjoyment from practice as I do playing in the final world championships as playing in a, an exhibition in, in some snooker or in Clacton somewhere. You know, I just enjoy the thrill of getting my cue out and just and just performing. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I love all that. And, you know, that, that's a part of me that, you know, I just keep doing until one day I just think the desire is not there to do it. But, yeah, no, listen, I, I, I love it. You know, it's... Uh, it's I look at it more like a hobby now and just something that I do on my terms. Whereas when I was younger, it was more about, obviously, like I wanted to win the world championships, wanted to be world number one. And I kind of done all that. And, you know, you kind of, once you've done it, you go, oh, is that it? You know, what's next? You know, so. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of always found, like, after winning world titles, I was, like, waiting for this special feeling. And it never came. <laughs> so I was like, you know, so I'm not sure number eight or number 10 world title is going to give you that special feeling that you sometimes, that I, that I thought it was going to give me when I was a kid. So, you know, you learn to just kind of just go, well, it's just a game, it's just a sport. I enjoy it. it. You know, as long as the snooker works for me and I don't work for the snooker, then then it's okay, you know? Yeah. And well, I guess like being number one and being the target, the guy to beat, is, does that ever get to you that kind of pressure or have you sort of been able to deal with that okay? No, it never got to me at all. I, I, I never even looked at it like I'm number one on world champion or on the mat. I was like, no, it's just a game of snooker. It's me against the table. I didn't even see it me against the opponent. I was just like, I just wanted to dominate the table. You know, every time I come to the table, it's like, I just want to clear up. I just want to like, you know, make this white ball dance. And and, hmm. and that, that was the buzz for me. You know, it wasn't winning titles. It wasn't 
you know, have, having a grudge against an opponent, that, that never motivated me. I was never, that was never what it was about for me. It was just about being the best that I could possibly be. And, and I don't think I, I was the best. I think there was better players out there than me, but I just, I don't know. I just had a desire and a, a will to win. And, and I just was able to turn matches around probably when most players wouldn't be able to turn matches around. So, you know, I've just got that. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, like yourself, um, you know, I, I sort of spoke about my mental health problems and, you know, with alcohol and, and things like that, the troubles that I've had with it. And I suppose like, you know, I mean, I've had this conversation a couple of times. Yeah. Is there, does depression cause you to drink or does um, being an alcoholic cause depression? And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like the chicken and the egg, isn't it? What came, what came first? But I think, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think, I always think that, you know, if you've got depression, if you if you kind of put alcohol on top of that, it's like putting gas onto a fire. It's just like, you know, it's just engulfs it even more. So definitely that's, that's not a good... I would never recommend that, um, and I, and I also think the other side of it is that if you are an addict or an alcoholic, you're, it's something that you're either born with, you know. And some people can say, right, I'm going to have four or five pints, and they'll stop at four or five. Whereas if you yeah. are an addict or an alcoholic, there is no, you know, you, you intend to have four or five pints, but you end up staying out for two or three days, <laughs> you know, because there's no off switch, mm. there's no sort of all, all sort of common sense goes out the window, so. Yeah, I just think like they're two totally different things. But yeah, um, that yeah, I would def- definitely wouldn't recommend. Depression is something that you know, it's it's not great to drink on or, or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you remember having that moment where you kind of like, I need to change something now because it's getting a bit out of control? Do you remember having that moment? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember. Mm. I remember just kind of, I've become dependent on. Uh, having a joint, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, I, I didn't know how to function okay. without one. I didn't know how to function without, you know, being straight was difficult, you know, like, you know, going out sober was difficult, you know, I just didn't, I just didn't want to do it. So, you know, that's when I thought I'd realised I had a problem. So I went into the Priory, got, got some help in there, probably one of the best things I've ever done. And, you know, I needed that time away from people, places and things, if you like, just to kind of, just to start again and get get some clean time, and I and I managed to to get myself thirty days clean. I started to feel better in myself. I came out, I started doing meetings. Started, you know, I got two months, three months. I got nine months clean. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And and then I started to feel happy. The the, the, the part for me about being in recovery and getting clean was more about you know that it was an inside job. You know, happiness comes from from within. Um, Mm-hmm. Not from external things, so like buying, buying stuff. You know, you know, a nice shirt or a nice car or a nice watch. I kind of realised that they weren't that weren't where you find happiness. You know, so ever since I came out of the pro, which was I don't know maybe two thousand, so over like twenty years ago, I've kind of just been on like I hate that word, you know, spiritual bloody journey. A lot of people use that word and. <laughs> But I just suppose I've just been on this um, less is best sort of journey, if you like, you know, of like, you know, I don't need all them sort of things to make me happy. You know, it's just good food, healthy body, healthy mind, you know, be careful what you're, you know, with some of the faults and 
resentments that you can kind of hold on to because they're not doing you any good really, you know. So just just trying to be at peace with yourself and and, and, your, and your own and just staying in your own lane and, and not getting distracted by what other people are, are getting up to, you know. Yeah. And does that, does, does the desire go for alcohol in a joint? Does that, you know, even when you've sort of come out of recovery and the opportunities there, you have the, I mean, I'm sure you've come, you've had the opportunity where there's been a pint for you or a couple of pints or a, a joint. And does that, does that desire go? Yeah, no, it does. It does. You, ne- you, yeah. you never think it is in the beginning because you're so dependent on it. And you just think, well, I, I can't imagine getting well. You know, I can't imagine being able to, to face situation straight basically so yeah and then after like a month two months you know you start to get a little bit of a spring in your step and say wow you know like when you build this these days up months if you like clean and you start dealing with situations and you're like, oh, you know and then it's like you know you start to get your bit of confidence back so yeah it's um you definitely kind of yeah definitely the, the the temptation is is so much less now. So for me, I don't I don't even give it a second thought. You know, like everyone that I see, people that I know there, they don't know I've been in rehab. They don't know my story, but they're like, oh, Ronnie doesn't drink. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like everyone knows me. Ronnie just like drinks tea or water. You know, like they just think I've never touched alcohol in my life. Little did they know when I was like nineteen to twenty five, I was like a like a raving lunatic. You know, so you know, and it's just weird just how kind of like. You know that, that that's what I'm known for. Now is I, I go running, I don't drink, I don't take drugs. And, you know, and I'm just quite boring, really. <laughs> just drink too. Yeah. How? <laughs> yeah, you got a nice cup of tea on the go there. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, how how much has running changed that for you? Is that been the? Do you see that as a replacement for that for those feelings that you that you had? Um, I don't see it as a replacement because I just think I would have. I don't need to run to not drink or take or have a joint. You know, I, mm. I would have gone to meetings and, you know, I enjoyed going to meetings. I enjoyed doing the 12 steps. I enjoyed the community that I found there. I enjoyed going for coffee after a meeting. I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed all that sort of stuff in some ways. That it was a lot easier doing that than it is going running. Um, but then I found running and I was like, okay, I run, I do my snooker. And then I went to meetings and it was just like, I had no time for for my family, I suppose. In a, in a way, one had to go. And it was like, do I give up meetings or do I give up running? And I decided that I probably didn't need meetings because there was no temptation for me to, to smoke, take drugs or, or have a booze because I was running. You know, like I said, once I started to mm. run, I never it never crossed my mind to smoke. It never crossed my mind to want to go and get get pissed with my mates it was like you know I'm happy to just after I've done a run I just want to go home put my feet up and just watch the tv and just by half 10 I'm asleep because I'm up again at seven in the morning to go running so <laughs> you know it's kind of like one had to go and the meetings went and, I, and although I know the meetings are still there and, and I always say to people that have got a problem with alcohol and drugs that that is the best place for you to go um it just gets you it gets you clean and gets, gets you on the right 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 path you know and then after that you create your own destiny and you create your own place where you want to go with it. And for me, I, you know, I was lucky I found running and gym and fitness and that kind of, that works for me, you know? Yeah. And you're into your cooking as well, right? I was into my cooking. I used to cook quite a lot and I, I do enjoy a little bit of a cook-off. But I just kind of realised that my time now, I just, I, there's only so much time you get and I just kind of would rather yeah. 
focus it on the important things. So obviously my playing is important, my running, my gym, uh, spending time with friends and family. And I just think, you know what, they're the things that I want to do. So my mum cooks for me, Layla cooks for me. I've got two or three restaurants around the corner from me, which are like, Ronnie, come in, I've got my own table in the corner. And they basically cook me whatever I want. They know I like my fish, they know I like my salad, you know, and it's just like, rather than me go to Waitrose, buy that, prep it, da 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 then wash and clean, I'm like, I'll let someone else take that, do, do that for me, you know. So, um, yeah, I just kind of like, yeah, not 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 so big on the cooking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I mean, what's it? I mean, what's it been like when you've been playing snooker in this last year? Not, you know, I suppose it's different. You know, in terms of football, you do notice the fans not there and the spectators mm. not there. Um, with snooker, I haven't noticed it too much. Some of the, the games I've watched, but do you know, as you know, as someone competing, do you? Is it a weird feeling for you? Uh, not really. I didn't bother me because, like I said, you know, I, whether it's the world championships, whether I'm playing at my mum's or I'm playing down the club. I just enjoy playing, you know. It's just sort of something that I don't need a crowd to get excited about playing. But what I did find was that sometimes last year when things weren't going so well for me, I'd just go, you know, I just want to go home. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't care if I win or lose. And, and the difference is that when there's a crowd there, you might have them faults, but you can't allow that to affect your performance because you know that they've, they've paid their money to come and watch you. And you have a kind of like, it's like a, you know, a, a sense of like, I need to give them the best that I can give today. You know, it might not be great, but I still have to give it, give it my best, you know, and, and at least then like, that they know that you give it your best. You know, you might not have played well, you might not have won that match, but they can come off and go, you know what? No, it's just what, that's just, just how sport goes sometimes. So, you know, the fans are, are, are understanding in that sort of way. So it was nice that they came back at the World Championships because there was times in that tournament where I probably would have given up a lot earlier, um, but I didn't because the fans were there. So in some ways it's, 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 it's better that the fans are there because it makes you, uh, it just sharpens your mind up a bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you said one of your heroes was Jimmy White when you were younger. I mean, was it, I mean, my nan, my nan's at 90 years old. He's a massive Jimmy White fan. Mm. Uh, but is, 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 is uh, was it weird when you sort of played him for the first time? Are you quite friendly now or? Yeah, well, like Jimmy's like an older brother to me. I love Jimmy. He's like my best yeah. mate. You know, we work a lot in Eurosport. He makes me laugh. Uh, we have some, you know, he's just a just a top top guy. You know, I love him to pieces. First time I played him, I was I think I was sixteen at the time, and uh, he hadn't played for about three or four months. I'd been playing every day, and uh, I managed to win that match. And yeah, he was like a hero of mine. You know, Jimmy, and yeah, no, just. Um, you know, he's like, you know, you have your family, um, but he's part of my snooker family, if that, if that makes sense. You know, of all the people that I've met mm. over the years through snooker, I can't, you kind of build up a bit of a snooker family. And Jimmy would definitely be one of the closest people to me in that sort of family, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I suppose he's seen you at your highs and lows as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I was so friendly because, you know, I knocked on his door one night. I think it was in Aberdeen. God, it was a long time ago, but it was I was halfway through my my drinking and partying and using, if you like, and uh, I had nowhere to, I had no one to go to really, no one. I just I didn't because I knew I, I was like, exposing myself to people that didn't really care, you know. Uh, and Jimmy was the only person I could go to. Right. 
And I knocked on his door and he went, yeah, come down, come down. And I sat in his room from, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night till three in the morning just chatting. And I was like, oh, I feel so much better, Jim. And he went, you know, I love you and safe journey home. And I always remember that chat. He probably don't remember it, but I do because he was the only person that I felt safe around, you know. So, you know, yeah, Jimmy's, 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 uh, yeah, I love, I love him. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. Yeah. Mm. And I suppose, I mean, what, what are your plans on as you come out of the COVID world? Are you planning to, are you hoping to visit some other countries and travel, travel soon or what have you got sort of going on? I just love to work, you know, and like I said, you mm. know, I, I've, I've probably got like five or six different lines of work now and it's just kind of, and I always say to the, to the people that, you know, whatever project that we're involved in, what we're doing, I go, listen, I'm happy to do it because I enjoy doing it. But snook always have to come first. My plane has to come first. And they're like, yeah, yeah, fine, mm-hmm. we get that. I said, you know, I might agree to do something, but I might have to ring you up and go, look, we're going to have to postpone that. We're going to have to rebook dates. We're going to have to sort of, I said, I might come to that, but I can't, you know. And, you know, and, it's, and they're totally understandable with that, you know. So I have to have flexibility with the people that I work with, you know, and I just like to be on the road. I enjoy to travel. I like to work. I like to work with great, you know, brilliant people, you know, and, you know, I've got a really good kind of, yeah, like a portfolio. I like lots of stuff. It's like a portfolio, you know, of different things that I'm involved in and they just all keep me excited to, you know, I'm just excited to work. You know, there's sometimes where I go, you know what, I'm done with playing. So, I, you know, I then get in the studio and I do a few days with Jimmy and Eurosport. And Eurosport are a great team, great bunch of people, totally supportive. Obviously, my snooker comes first. And we work together on that, you know. I say, look, you know, if I'm in the tournament and I really fancy it, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be available for work. But there's going to be some weeks and sometimes where I go, you know what, let's do it. And we, and we, and we just crash out what we do and, and it works really well. So, you know, it's good to have people that are supportive of what you want to do. But, that has to work both ways as well. So there's times, you know, where I have to kind of, you know, um, do certain things that I might not want to do, but, you know, it's, it's a team effort as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, what do you, I mean, for people that have perhaps listened to this, that are going through, a, you know, bad times in the with their mental health or addiction, I mean, what is like, I guess, the most valuable lesson or advice that you've had to help yourself get out of that dark place that you, you found really useful? I mean, for me, the, the, the best one is obviously just get a pair of trainers on, go out, have a run, <laughs> start off with a mile, build it up to two mile, build it up to three mile, build it up to four mile, build it up to five mile, join your local running club, do shorter, faster runs, longer, slower runs, play about with it, just have fun and just notice how your mood just changes because of just moving the body, you know, a little bit of sweat, mm. endorphins flying around. Like I said, Park Run was a, was an amazing initiative that was brought out years ago, and, and for me, that's probably you know doctors never me- recommend it to their to their patients, you know, rather than giving them antidepressants, go and go and do your local five uh, k uh, Park Run, and there's so many people that uh, have got massive benefits from it. So, you know, I'm a great believer in it. I know it works, uh, but it's difficult. You know, it's difficult because when you wake up in the morning, you're like look out the window and you think, oh, can I really be bothered to go to a run? Oh, it's easier to have a cup of tea, a bit of breakfast and sit on the couch, watch a bit of BBC news. Ugh. You know, so it's like that pull, but you have to kind of go into fight mode and just go, no, I'm getting this done. And um, and the minute you're, you're out moving, 
you know, you, you never regret. I've never regretted a run, you know, and I've been running probably solidly for 10 years. You know, I can honestly say I've always felt better for having the run than not having the run, if that makes sense. Yeah, having that euphoric feeling at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be euphoric. It's just kind of like, you know, you just feel good. You have a sweat. You come and you might have had a really terrible run. You might have thought, I haven't moved that well. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I, even that I can beat myself up with. But I come back and I go, benefits of running. I'm not smoking. I'm in shape. My heart's in good shape. I feel better. I'm, better. I'm a better person to be around. I've got a bit more. I've got much more tolerant of people. Benefits of running, you know. So, you know, it just kind of, it's, 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 a, it's a good I think it's a good thing to to incorporate into your life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do you prefer running by yourself or with people? I mean, what is there a preference that you have? It's a strange one because, like, a lot of the time, I arrange to meet someone at half seven in the morning. That alarm clock goes at half half six, and I just think, oh, I just don't want to go. And it's that thought that you've got to go because you've made an arrangement to meet someone. So it kind of feels like a bit of a pressure because you don't want to be late. So what I've started doing this week is I've started running on my own just to see how, right. how I feel. And I kind of I still wake up at half six. I still get to the forest at half seven, but without the pressure. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? So it's kind of like I'm seeing yeah, if yeah. I can motivate myself to do it. And and I have, you know, and I've quite enjoyed going on my own because you kind of, you haven't got that pressure, if you like, of, oh, I've got to meet that person. You know, I'm meeting someone tomorrow to run. But for the majority of the weeks now, I'll probably run on my own. And if someone wants to run with me, great. But I think with running, the idea is is that you kind of do it anytime, any place, anywhere. As long as you've got trainers and shorts, you know, it's something you can just, you don't need anybody. So, but it, don't get me wrong, the, the running club and running with people does make it, it's, it's always better to run with somebody, I think. But, you know, um, I, I try not to get tied down because it's, it's a lot of commitments that you feel like you've got to, you got to make, you know, so I've got to meet him, got to meet him, got to, oh, all of a sudden, like, you know, just having that option to not go is nice. Even though I do go, that option that I don't have to go makes me think, you know, it's, um, you know, I have a choice in it, you know. Yeah. And did you, do you have like music player in or anything like that? Or you just go freestyle? Like, I, like, use head, <laughs> I use, I use headphones once and it lasted about 15 minutes. They got so frustrated with trying to get the, the right songs on, and I just threw my iPods in the forest. Because for, <laughs> for me, it was about hearing the birds, hearing the breeze, hearing my feet, the rhythm of my feet running across the ground. And I kind of just thought, I'm bringing technology and music into a, into a place where it's just, it doesn't belong for me, you know? Don't get me wrong, I love yeah, music when I'm sense. driving. I love music when I'm driving. And I probably would love music if I was running um, in the right environment. But sometimes over the forest, you just kind of just, you're at one with nature. Do you know what I mean? So maybe if I was doing mm -hmm. a bit more road running around, you know, some estates or whatever, where there's cars and stuff like that, maybe that's where music would help. But when you're over the forest, you know, like, are you woodpeckers? Are you, you know, all sorts of animals and creatures and, you know, and you hear a pheasant rustle across and you're like, what was that? You know, and you just kind of like, you know, you, you miss out on that if you've got music on there. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, well, what, what's sort of be going to happen for you over the next um, rest of the year, I suppose? What are you see focusing on the rest of the year? Are you more Eurosporting? you got any, anything lined up? Yeah, no, so, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got uh, lots to do with Eurosport. I've got an academy that we're opening up in Singapore. So that's going to be the first Ronnie O'Sullivan Snooker Academy. 
Um, we hope to, to we hope to eventually, you know, maybe have like an Asian tour for amateur players. Uh, professionals can be invited onto it too, um, with the idea that once this, this, the, the the academy in Singapore is is up running fine and 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 doing really well, we're then going to either franchise it out or just open one in every territory in the Far East. So that's something really good. Um, obviously, I've got, you know, I bought some property. So I have a property company that I, that I, that I, that I do things with. So that's that's something fun to get involved in. Obviously, my snooker. Um, yeah, and like I said, you know, just buying and selling some art and just and, and doing stuff like that. So they're, they're, the, they're the things that, that keep me ticking over, really. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Ronnie, it's been great talking to you today and hopefully, you know, we'll have normality again soon. <laughs> Lovely. Nice one. Cheers, Lawrence. Yeah, amazing talking to uh, Ronnie there. You know, really honest, really open and... Um, yeah, just a really great, enlightening conversation to have with him. Not very often you get taught to the world's best snooker player, is it? Uh, but yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, like I said, at Shapes of Stories. And you can follow me on Instagram under Prestige Books. And like I said, no pressure, but you know, if you could support the show in any way, it's, it's a massive help. I can't emphasize that enough. And any kind of donation you can make, no matter how small it is, I know, you know if times are difficult for all of us in a financial way because of COVID. Um, but yeah, anything you can you can um, spare um, to support the show in any way, you know, it, it really means a lot, and I really appreciate it. And like I said, for those either like and listen to the show and are fans of what we do, um, yeah, it really it really helps us bring you the content as often as we can. Um, so yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks to Ronnie for his time. And yep, yeah, here's to more episodes coming your way in the future. Enjoy the sun. Cheers.